tēnei mai te koanga ki te whenua. Tēnei te kaupika tau e tohu ana i ngā tīmatanga hau. Ka pera hoki ki te ao tōranga pū me ngā matikau e tohe ana ki te pūāwai. Welcome to Mata with me, Mehingarangi Forbes, brought to you by Te Mangai Pāho and the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Joining me in studio today are two special guests to talk about one of the most significant seats this election. Ko ngā wāhini e nei e tātā whāinga ana mo te tūru o Ikaro Rāwhiti. Ara, ko te kaitono mo Reipa, ko Kushla Tangairi Manuel. Rawa, ko te kaitono mo te Pāti Māori, ko Mika Whaiteri. Tēnā kōrua. Tēnā kōrua. What makes Ikaro Rāwhiti special? Oh, it's, it's people. It's people, it's place, it's whenua, it's moana, it's awa, it's villages. Um, it's just a, an amazing electorate um, on the east coast of North Island. First to see the light, um, but we descend from beautiful, passionate people from Eiti Ngata to Te Moana Nui Tariha, um, and we've got some amazing um, kaititos in Ngongoi Pifarangi, Tweni Ngāwai, uh, Hinari Tamona. We come from the home of Kapahaka champions and mm. Tohokofitu, uh, Waihiriri, and of course Whangara. Um, but we come from beauty too, when mm. I think about Pānia, Mahinarangi, Rongomai Wahine. So it's a special place. Mm. She's done a great job at she describing Ekororakati, but could you add, what are the, describe the people. All I can just build on that, and you know, one thing that I that I know, and because it's true of me, is most people who live in Ikaruarafati, despite its ruggedness, you know, <laughs> the landscape, um, we live there because we're either from there or we want to live there because it's such an awesome place to be. Ikaruarafati's been a food bowl mm -hmm. for Aotearoa Whanui, not only from the whenua, but from the sea. So we're innovators, we're pukumahi, and I just um, look forward to being part of revisiting those times. Mm. Did you two know each other before this campaign? Absolutely. Yes. Got yeah. big respects for Kushla and her leadership, mm. not just in the rugby, just in general, being yeah. a passionate wahine Māori from, of course, Rangitukia, mm. Ngāti Pro, and only if you know people from there, very passionate people. Yes. And so I've known her way before her rugby and, and her whānau. Mm. Yeah. So it's respect all around. It's a very special dance Māori doing these seats. Absolutely. And actually, that was, um, you know, we were commended for that yesterday because, mm. you know, some people have asked, actually, straight up <laughs> asked us if we can have a scrap. I mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So, this seat is 700 k's long and it mm. dog legs into Rangitane country. Mm. How did you manage to get across it? Uh, quickly. <laughs> um, to be honest, it is a big electorate. It, it takes 10 hours to drive. Um, and honestly, it's made up of passionate communities <clears throat> right throughout it. And of course, as, as being the sort of incumbent MP, getting to every part of the electorate mm. and, and giving the love um, has been something that I've strived to do. Of course, we can always do better, but what I've tried to do is get out. Is it too big? Massively big. And absolutely too big? Is it too, too unfair? Big. Too big, but that's a reflection of the way the Māori electoral mm. seats are set up and mm. how we've got disparities between the two roles. Uh, if every Māori jumped on, I think we could have two MPs representing our electorate easily. Mm. You're a proud, uh, proud Ngāti Pūrau Wahine from Rangitukia. So how well do you know the rest of Ikoro Rāwhiti? You know... Yes, I'm very proud to be from Langitukia. Um, but in spite of that, whānau, I haven't been tucked away at a marae all my life. <laughs> you know, I don't just stash myself in Langitukia. Um, I've travelled um, the electorate in previous mahi, mm -hmm. either as a reporter on marae or as um, a facilitator of wānanga throughout. Mm. Um, 
But in terms of this mahi, it's very important that I have people on the ground. So I've reached out to networks throughout the electorate because, like Mika said, it's huge. Um, and in the short run-up, my priority has been to get out to mm. whānau, uh, where I don't have name and face recognition as strongly, um, so they get to see me as a kanohi kitea. And just to pick up on that, um, you know, the issue of our electorate, one of the things I, ne I think needs to be considered, not only geographically, is about, you know, just can we really equitably serve mm. each community? Māori want to see us. Mm. They want us to um, show up and hear their whakaro, not just, you know, we've got Zoom and all that, mm. but to really wānanga kaupapa, I think that is a, that's an important issue you've raised. Yeah, maybe a kōrero for another time. Yeah. <laughs> like you have said, is, has a strong political uh, mm. whakapapa from individuals like Sir Apirarangata to the first Māori parliament at Papawai. Mm. Do either of you come from political legacies or, or, or have a kōrero? Well, I have to go back, um, obviously, to Kōti Rikirangi. Um, my uncle was on that rifleman that came back. Mm. Um, so obviously activism um, from my father's side, my mother's side actually. Um, Paratini Tatai was another active leader in Tairawhiti during the time. Uh, his daughter um, worked uh, in the Ratna Church but also campaigned to fundraise for our soldiers, mm. right down to my grandmother who actually was one of the founding members of Matua Whangai. So we've all got it in our family, the sense of duty, the sense of service mm. um, and our tipunas um, done it, done it religiously and I think Kush and I are just trying to carry on that legacy. Yeah, what about yours? You know, well, I was educated at um, Ngata Memorial College, so, you know, we were raised with Etipu area. I think the short answer to how I found myself here, because it's not necessarily something I imagined I'd um, do when I was younger, working on marae was something, um, was when I was much younger, you know, Parikura did ask if I would consider. Wow. It, timing wasn't right. Um, I feel like I had to go and have all these various other... Um, career, so to speak, to prepare me for this. But really, uh, my political legacy is probably my mother. And I say to people, I was raised in the beehive of Hinepari Marae <laughs> and just observing hapu and iwi politics has been a great um, base for me as well. What did you say to Parikura back then? What? <laughs> <laughs> Because he had asked both my brother and I, um, and my brother has pursued a, a career, so to speak, in iwi, um, iwi politics. Um, so I moved on to come in, um, I'm, and I'm glad because timing wasn't right. I was too young. Did you give him a twinkle in the eye for some time to come? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, actually, I started avoiding him for a little while. <laughs> I thought, oh, heck. Um, but I definitely had full respect for Para, and he's, um, you know, he laid a really good foundation for some really strong skills in Ngāko that I'd like to carry. Yeah, for both of you. Mm. You both have a lot of support in the electorate. We've just been on the road trip. Um, and um, imagine, though, if Ikororafati could have both of you. Because it's so big, it could have both of you. And maybe it could, because the latest poll maker could have you through on the party list. So would you support a two wahine campaign for Ikororafati? Well, obviously, our strategy is two ticks labour. And I've been saying to whānau, um, to maintain the progress we've made as a party for Kaupapa Māori, we need a Labour government. I'm not on the list, like you've said, you've alluded, I, I'm all in. And I think our people are smart enough to realise, yeah, we could, we could get Mika in the list and Kushla in on the seat. What about you, Mika? If, if, it's, be, if it's the best for the people of Ikororafati, would you support that? Obviously, bringing in more Māori into Parliament to represent the interests of our people in Ikororafati, I would support that. 
But just like Kush, I'm running a two-tick campaign. Um, you've mentioned that I'm number three on the party list. Uh, we've also got a young Hannah coming up on our fourth list. And so there's a lot of ifs and buts, you know. Obviously, we've got to get party vote to get that list uh, enacted. What I can guarantee uh, your listeners is that on Te Party Māori's list, there's only Māori. Um, so when you uh, party vote Māori, uh, then you know it's going to go towards a Māori candidate. And um, so for us... It's a two-tick campaign, just like Kushta's running her campaign, and our voters will make up their mind. Two ticks for each. <clears throat> the population growth in Ekororafati is the slowest of the Māori electorates, so people are leaving for the cities perhaps. And of those staying, nearly one-third aged 15 or over have no qualifications in the last census. Uh, have no qualifications in the last census. Um, so that's the highest proportion of any electorate in New Zealand. When you consider the East Coast, what do you think about that? About people leaving the region? About how a third of your people over 15 don't have any qualifications. Why is that? You know, there's nothing like having a sense of purpose, right? And I think, um, you know, originally we got talking up, thinking about innovation. And sometimes I think we actually might have to go backwards to go forwards mm. in terms of wānanga. I used to work in PTEs um, and did a bit of work at um, Tūranga Ararau. So I understand some of the restrictions they have around bricks and mortar buildings and getting people into them. And one of the, the call for kāro I heard was from Ngāhuia Ngata, may she rest in peace, talking about um, education between rohe, not so much just in rohe. Mm. And one of the things I loved about working in Wānanga was the affirmation of our own knowledge. So it's about us thinking about ways that we can Wānanga on our own knowledge and acknowledge those as skills versus qualifications to get people into work. And that's why cadetships work. You know, Labour invested in 1400 just last year. And I mean, I've got cousins who have a trade because their father moved to Wellington as part of the trades training movement. So it's it's about not just acknowledging academia, but acknowledging that we're hands-on as well. Is it about taking the education or the micro-credential, whatever you're talking, to the, to the kainga? Yeah, I think we've got to look at all options. And, you know, we've got technology now. We saw it being used um, throughout COVID. But it's also about acknowledging and giving some mana to our traditional matauranga methods. Mm. So, you know, there's no big universities up the East Coast and the politics haven't been uh, that popular, obviously, based on those, on those statistics. So if you had a magic wand, how would you do it differently? So I'd like to see a Māori-led education authority um, because for too long we've trusted in, in mainstream to deliver the sort of education outcomes our people deserve and it hasn't delivered. I mean, you've just raised the point. So when I talk about a Māori education authority, I think everything we've seen gains in our education system for Māori, whether it's kōhanga, kura, wānanga, has come out of protest. Mm. So every gain has been a hard-fought one. With Te Pāti Māori, we're saying, well, we've given all these models, they do deliver, they do produce results, why can't the government just fund us to do that? So if you did get yourself um, a, a Māori-led um, education system, mm. how would you like 
them to provide for those little pockets up the east coast, in the Hawke's Bay, in the Wairarapa? Well first and foremost I want to acknowledge all our teachers and kudas that are educating, particularly up the coast. You know, I'd, I'd like some equity around some of the funding around some of the buildings. Mm. Some of them are leaking. Um, I want, you know, some, some puti gone in there to strengthen the teachers in what Kushta said in our Matauranga space. We don't do enough of that. Um, so it'll be a completely different model to what we've got inspired by some of the leaders that come out of our areas, you know, and what got them to where they've got to. And using and trusting our knowledge base can produce the education those young people so badly need. They're caught in a bit of a cuss because we've got these Western models versus what we want them to aspire. We want them to be at home if they want to be at home working effectively within the community, or we want them to go out to the world to get those extra skills to bring home. That's that's the ambition, and a Māori Education Authority will help deliver that. I think the messaging too, you know, when I grew up, I was told two things, you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be a lawyer. We need to turn that around too. Yeah. And I think Kura Kaupapa's come a long way, Kohanga, uh, Kura Kaupapa, and have come a long way in saying, hey, he Māori koe, tu kaha koe, roto mm. i tō Māori tanga. I think now we've got to, rather than say, we, you know, this, mm find value in your life, how can we help you do that? In, in, in jobs, in yeah, roles like forestry and like land yes. and land use, and all, which is really, really needed up the East Coast. I want to just uh, bring something that Mecca talked about and you touched on Kohanga Reo. Um, if you were to get in, would that be a motivation for you? Because when you look at Kohanga Reo around the country now, and I bet you the East Coast is no different from anyone else's, they're short of Kohanga. We used to have 830, we have 420 now, and we've got 1,000 mokopuna on the waiting list. What would you do differently? I, I used to be a Kohanga Reo kayako, ironically. That was my um, first paid job, so to speak. Um, so I'd obviously I work with Kohangareo National Trust and the Fano on the ground to see what the solutions are for them, because you can't beat being educated in your Māori tanga. You know, kia tipu mai koe iroto i tō reo me o tikanga. So I don't have all the answers inside me, but I think that's the best approach is to go around, talk to our Fano, because obviously we have a Kohangareo where I'm from, which feeds the Kurakaupa whose board I'm on, and just ask why. Because I was talking to. Um, someone who works for the National Trust the other night and just saying why you know we've got this pay equity which is fantastic mm. if you're why can, yeah. yeah why can we we're still having recruitment issues so mm. we've got to work on making Kohangareo I, I'd, I'd like to say the first choice for Fano Māori but mm. if not why answer those questions so we can address them. Well, the reason that um, it's not a choice for kohanga is when we talked to a kaiafina in Wainui or Mata, she said she has to choose between putting gas in the car or kai on the table. It's not enough money. Yeah. And she's stressed at 20 years old. Yeah, no. So, you know, when you were in the Labour Mm. this government, mm. did we drop the ball with Kohanga? So obviously there's been some gains on the Labour, but again that's just... Um, in pay parity. In pay parity but slowly. But in terms of the whare, you know, there's not enough whare anymore, so, there's so a waiting list. This is why I'm suggesting honouring the, claim, the Y claim 2336, which is the Kohanga claim. Mm. It's been around for a long time. It's addressing the inequities, mm. but also it talks about a way forward. Um, and and Labour has started with the pay parity, but what we're saying is more needs to be done to honour uh, the Kohanga movement, where it started, who was involved, and like you said, how do we create that as the first place for our Fano to put their mokopunas in? And you know, all we can do is um, acknowledge the movement, but I think that why claim needs to be uh, honoured.
Kapoim. Well, we spoke uh, to people up and down the coast. They said there were few opportunities to grow in their roles, in their employment yeah. roles as they had. One person said locals should be considered for local contracts, like fixing the roads, but those jobs go, those contracts go to out-of-town companies. Um, they're talking about procurement and they want mm. local people working on local problems. Are you aware of this issue up the coast? You know, when I drive to Gisborne and I see trucks with the likes of Parata, <laughs> um, Black Bee and Tairawhiti contractors on them, you know, it definitely warms my heart because I know also not only are they lo providing local knowledge to provide the local solutions, they're also providing local jobs. Mm. So that's certainly something I'd advocate for because I saw it, um, you know, so roading's obviously a big issue right now, but I've seen it in the past as well with um, forestry contractors, yeah, drivers, etc. Yeah, so that's definitely something I'd advocate for. Mm. And... You know, how do we propose to grow local businesses through the idea of local procurement? Yeah, so Te Party Māori has a 25% procurement policy that would guarantee... Is that realistic, though? Well, you've got... Labour had five, you know, so 25 because... Is that an aspiration? So that's part of our policy, mm. that uh, part of uh, growing economic uh, opportunities for Māori, you've got to put a, a, a poe in the ground around the government's procurement policy. I mean, it's billions of dollars. So, so would it be like uh, the Gisborne District Council, District or Regional? District Council, District, yeah. um, you, you, you'd require them to employ... The procurement would be 25% Māori businesses or people or whatever. A absolutely. So not just local local councils, but actually central government because they put a lot of contracts as well. So the thing around the 25% is, is absolutely a goal to achieve. But when you come back to the roading and you've asked the question around the roading, there's, there's tiers in this country, you know, mm. the Holt yes. and the Hogans. Yeah. And the Māori ones that we want is to make sure that they're treated no differently to those tier ones. And so... When we talk about procurement, there's also understanding the, the, mechanic, the mechanics of how you do procurement. And so it's not just 25%, but we know where the hotspots are to make sure that Māori do get access into it. So that's just one. But, you know, we've got an economic policy, uh, Oranga Tangata, Oranga Whenua Fund of about $4.5 So, so if, if, if you did get the numbers and, and, and the Māori Party was part of it and you had a 25% procurement there, how would you then develop the, the, the contractors, the workers to fill those jobs? Well, that's the beauty. You know, some of the companies that I mentioned have been in the game for a long time. Mm -hmm. They've worked their way up, some of them from being the stop-go person. Yep. Um, in the case of Blackbee, you know, it's a, it's a second generation that are in the role. So a lot of them are already already doing that now. Would you like to see them uh, raised up the tiers? I, I guess you're talking about, so said they might be tier three or something like that, but they want the bigger contracts? Absolutely. I mean, I'd like to see that in every industry. You know, we need um, hapu and iwi involvement throughout the motu in providing these situations from design to delivery. Yeah. One of the issues up the, up the East Coast and in the Hawke's Bay is forestry. Hekia Parata, who authored the report on land mm -hmm. use and Slash, says the industry... Uh, has lost its social licence for forestry and widespread failing of uh, up the coast and in Wairua needs to stop immediately. Do you agree? So clearly I acknowledge Hekia's work in the report and the way she went about it and she did some very um, strong recommendations. The challenge for other people who are not from our region is that we don't have an industry we can pivot to. So if you take away forestry, what are we going to pivot to? So it's not saying they should stop. And I want to acknowledge those forest owners. And, and we've got Ngāti Pro owners in mm. forest, as in other iwi, 
that they've got a win-win solution. It just doesn't get cut through mm. for our region. So, yes, they've lost the political licence, but two, they're actually doing something about it. But three, and more importantly, you can't remove some economic um, industry without first replacing with something. Otherwise, it's going to lead to more. What, what, what do you replace it with? I mean, because she literally says you've got 10 years to do something, otherwise it's, it's overs. Well, you know, having spoken to people at home, it's exactly what Mecca said. You know, someone described it like an abusive marriage. You know, we sometimes it takes a while before you can leave to move on to something yeah. better because we still have... When COVID struck, one of our big concerns was the mental health of people working in our forestry industry. So we can't just t remove them from jobs immediately. But you've got people on the ground like... Um, Hera, Ngata Gibson, you know, who's very passionate about this and talking about let's pivot eventually, let's be part of the solution, you know, cleaning up mm. debris and all that. Let's turn those into jobs as well for our people. Mm. And I think that's going to be something that we have to advocate strongly for us to make sure that those jobs go locally. Well, yeah, I, want to, I want to see the return of sheep farming on the coast. So it was the government through Bowler that mm. created us to get out of farming into planting trees. So it should be the government that actually helps the 10-year transition. And, and, and should the government um, also then be part of the clean-up? Because some of those forests are only in cycle one and they've got two to go. Yes. So, um, you know, some people up the coast told us that they're kind of being tricked into that after Bowler and, and, and sold, locked, sold locked a bit in. of a sausage. Um, mm. Should the government be bailing them out? They should absolutely be stepping forward because they're the ones that motivated the plantation of the forestry mm. because of Bowler. And now, here we are, three generations later, well, not three generations, three decades yeah. later, that we're sort of... Um, our hands are tied, our options are... Dealing are with the, the first cycle. Dealing with the first cycle, but what I'm saying is I have every confidence of those at home with a way forward. They won't be fooled again. It won't be um, in the immediate future, so we're still going to have, you know, those big heavy trucks on your crumbling Highway 35. Do you support the Blue Highway? The feedback at the moment is that the priority is State Highway 35. That's still the lifeline in and out of the coast. One of the things I think about with the Blue Highway is, you know, we've, we've actually got to go back to communities and ask how they feel because nā rātou te, te moana rā, nā rātou te whenua rā. So, I, I, you know, well, I'm not saying there's not a, a space for it in the future, but it's not for me to speak for those one, individual communities. One of the things after the cyclone that we're hearing on the road is that while mental health was bad before, it's actually threefold now and they've got addictions and yeah. alcohol has become people's best friend because they're dealing with trauma and the rest of it. You made a lot of promises about the rehabilitation, the night beds, uh, six years ago. And, you know, what more would you do? The, the Labor made those uh, commitments. Um, yeah, you're, you're on, so, you were on my yeah, yeah, yep. So uh, what, we did, what we did secure is, I think, $17 million to build a purpose-built mental and health addiction centre in Gizzi. Yeah. I don't know why we still haven't seen that fruition from 2017, but the funding was put aside. And that was in recognition that the need was really prevalent, particularly for the coast, because they had to travel all the way to Palmi, all the way to Waikato to get any services. Since that time, Mahi, I just want to acknowledge all those that have come to the fore, that mm. have put their hand up to play an assistant role in that mental health, like the Dianes and Mark Korpua with Mahi Atua, mm. like um, Mahinarangi and Sunny Smith, the, the, the gang league meth, meth treatment in Kahu uh, 
Kahu Kura, um, yep. Wananga down in Central Hawke's Bay. One voice. But, but they, they've had to like bang their heads against the system to get any putia to deliver those much needed programs. How are you going to get um, funding devolved to local uh, solutions? First of all, I just want to acknowledge, you know, um, she's acknowledged Mark and Di, etc. So it's been great that they've been a part of that. And they've been forced. They've been forced into those situations like Lindsay from One Love, uh, from One Voice. You know, she was just dealing with addictions. Now she's dealing with everything. So one initiative that um, I'm reluctant to say because it was it was founded by my sister, but my sister founded the the first ever Marae-based eight-week rehab program. Mm. And it works because you can bring your whanau. It's, it's, it's very simple. You know, the infrastructure is very simple. Um, so I'd like to um, work on more solutions like that so we don't have to... You know, marae exist. They provide healing just by virtue of you being in them. They dictate a, a different type of behaviour. So... I'd like to explore more more models like that. Yeah, up and down the coast. Up and down the country, because while it's currently been based in Ngāti Pro, the intake is not limited to Ngāti Pro, and so it will grow, uh, which is going to mean she's going to need support to, you know, with um, support staff. But the beautiful thing is it also runs on a tuakana taina mm. um, model. So when graduates, um, and I've been to graduations and it's just absolutely so moving because like mental health, all these issues cannot be treated in isolation, eh? Mm. It's it's the tangata and it's the whānau. Mm -hmm. And so when you have them as part of the movement, because anything you go through, once you go through it on your own, you go back to your environment, it's much harder to deal with. So that was a long answer, but yeah. <laughs> That's right. You know, as we know, um, half of your uh, electorate is under 25 because that's just how we are as Māori. Probably younger in yours, but I didn't look at the exact numbers. Uh, the rangatahi that we've spoken to say, oh, we love Te Pāti Māori because they're on TikTok. <laughs> because they're on TikTok. And I looked at your TikTok and your Insta. I looked at your TikTok and your Insta. Do you think you're talking to rangatahi? Uh, well, I've got two rangatahi sons, and it's actually 70% of our demographics is under the age of 40, 50% is under 25, and I think we've got a younger demographics than Ikarorafati. So how do I know I'm talking to young people? Because um, my sons say, Mum, don't get on TikTok. Um, <laughs> so I get warnings. But they tell, the, the ones but, we're talking to say they want to hear you on there. Are you following rangatahi? Uh, I engage with rangatahi in Careful, schools. because I've looked at your thing. Yes, 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 <laughs> schools, schools. You're following hardly any rangatahi. You're both following politicians. I can barely follow myself, mihi um, Do you think you probably need to follow more rangatahi and get on the TikTok? One of my main advisory panels is completely comprised of rangatahi, and they are my iramatu. And I'm proud to say that me standing has inspired them politically. You know, some of them are enrolled to vote for the first time. Um, they've become little my little campaign team. And you're right, you know, I'm, I'm awkward. You know, I, I was a reporter trained by Derek Worcester to be, you know, like, mm, prim, miss, prim and Straight proper. Back. No, doing dances on TikTok. Um, but I've just come from rugby where a big part of my mahi was engagement and development of rangatahi. No, but that's good advice. I will start following some of our, more closely, some of Me our too. rangatahi <laughs> leaders what, on Insta. What's your message to rangatahi? You've got about 30 seconds. Why should they vote for you? How are you going to reach them? Yeah, so just that I um, I want the best for them. I want the absolute best. Uh, I care and I'm passionate about your future. You have so much to give right now. You're not our leadership for tomorrow. You're our leaders today. And what we're doing with Te Pāti Māori is acknowledging your uniqueness as young rangatahi. And hopefully our policies, I know, in housing, education, employment, economic, will deliver the very pathway that you so much deserve as rangatahi.
Kush? Ah, tēnā koutou rangatahi mā. It wasn't too long ago, I was you. Um, <laughs> and I understand, you know, you, you're probably thinking, why mm. vote? Everything that goes on in your life is impacted by your vote. And under, you know, we've got so many good kaupapa Māori that have come out of labour. We've got housing, um, apprenticeships, and I want to provide for, more for you. I want to talk to you. So get out there and vote whānau. Two ticks labour. Push for kush. Pick me at 23. We'll get more in 24 and we'll thrive in 25. Get into politics so all these aunties can get out of the way. It's been an awesome one. Anga, thank you for all your ideas and your laughter, bringing a bit of laughter to our panel. Tēnā kōrua, tēnā koutou katoa. E hono mai ki tēnei whakawhitinga kōrero i tēnei rā. I a tātou e kainamu atu nei ki te kōwhiringa pōti. Tetehi take nui tai ori ori ki a tātou katoa. Mā te wānanga, ka mārama, mā te mārama, ka mōhio. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back in a fortnight. Nohoro mai. Ko te reo, te take.